Crowder cruises in the front court, starts left, goes right, sets up the alley-oop. Why didn't he shoot it? Lynn couldn't save it, but he, well, he did save it from going out of bounds. Up to Barnes, steps into a three. Harrison Barnes hits the triple. Gets a screen from Thompson, kicks it over to Barnes, fakes the three. Five on the shot clock. Now a dribble attack by Harrison Barnes. Strikes right, spins left, draws the foul, banks the shot in for the biggest lead of the night by Sacramento. Brings it across the midcourt line. Here come two defenders at him. He drives the dribble to the right wing. He's in two-point range. He's trapped. He tries to get out of the trap. Ball knocked loose. He grabs it. He finds Barnes. Up fake once. He's fouled and he scores. Harrison Barnes with a three-point opportunity. A huge possession right there. And Harrison Barnes has been the man in the fourth quarter for the Kings. 14 in the quarter. So that you can be the victory. It's back, Fire Falcon. Harrison Barnes came through last night just when the Kings needed him most. Was having a quiet night, had a big fourth quarter, and the Sacramento Kings got the win. And it, like I said earlier to start the show, just a for me, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it about me. <laughs> it was an emotional night. I mean, it was just I was so so thrilled uh, just watching Doug coach have that opportunity. It's what he wants to do, and at some point that his it's his calling, and it, it was really, really cool to see and for the team to prevail and for them to get a win. And, I mean, the amount of love that he received. I, I mean, I, I when Scott Moak, who's so good at his job, really everybody in entertainment there, this team has been bad for a long time, and Fresh gets everybody riled up. And, you know, a lot of nights they're down 18 entering the fourth, down 13, maybe even they're ahead, doesn't even matter. They are really good slams, and just the whole game ops crew is just, incredible incredible at what they do but moke you know put a little bit more i thought on and and tonight's coach doug chris and then you know place goes nuts for doug and the way it ended so that he get the game ball just ah just feel goods everywhere for doug christie so let's get a little bit uh reaction from the coach last night and doug in classic dc fashion talking about uh everyone else but him yeah sacramento stand up i'm um I'm super, super, super proud. I mean, this is a this was a team win at the highest regard from Rico and Stacy to Jonah and Longo, Lindsey. Obviously, AG spoke to the the team uh, prior and after the game, and then playing every single player on the team. Uh, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that for, for me. Watching them uh, share the ball and then defensively. I thought we played a um, one of our, our better games. Uh, we didn't turn the basketball over after the first quarter. I believe we had eight turnovers for 14 points in the first quarter. And then after that, in three quarters, we had three turnovers for five points. So um, that's winning basketball, and that's proud basketball. Yeah, again, thanking everyone else. Uh, but he was part of it. But he's right. I know that for a fact that... Um, you know, going through walkthrough, going through pre pre. I mean, it's Alvin Gentry's involved in this. It's like he's not at the game, but it's a a staff collaboration. And then Doug is the one that helps execute uh, the overall game plan. I've got to be fair, but I have to criticize Doug. Oh, let's do it. Leave your cell phone in the locker room. What happened? You don't hear the him getting text messages. Oh, is that happening there? You hear the. I'm going to play it and see when I hear it first. Okay. Yeah, Sacramento stand up. I'm um 
I'm super, super, super proud. I mean, this is a this is a team <laughs> win at the highest regard from Rico and Stacy to Jonah and Longo, Lindsey. Well, we got more clips. We'll hear it. You know, that might have been me. Probably was you and me. No, you know what? The game wasn't over yet when I texted him. Yeah. And he texted you back? Yeah. <laughs> Remember the timeout? He's like, hang on, guys. I got to send Jason a text real fast. No, I didn't uh, Didn't communicate with him until – I didn't hear from him until later in the night, but that was – You know we're going to get investigated by the NBA because he said that. <laughs> um, I think that's like a – what do they have? The kangaroo court gets a little fine every time he gets a text while uh, out on the podium. Yeah. So there was at least two of them. I don't know what the fine would be. Um, but how about his first opportunity? Let's hear more from Doug on uh, his first game as a acting head coach. I actually – I wasn't – super nervous oddly enough i did have a million things running through my head um which i I just kind of went and found a room and just kind of wrote down a few things that that i wanted to focus on and uh all the assistants were incredible to kind of help and guide me through in certain parts and then the team just they, they responded um but for me like um those of you again who who, who know me, I, I've done radio, I've done television, and they're like, how do you like it? Like, there's there's no other place in the world I'd rather be than than on on the court with our team. It's um, it's it's joyous for me in ways that I can't even explain. Yeah, Doug talks about his therapy being the gym, and that's could be rebounding for someone, could be running a drill, could be him working on his own ball handling, whatever it is. Uh, it's it's the game he obviously is so incredibly gifted at but wants to give back wants to teach wants to win here specifically and I think the most telling thing for me on working with Doug and then really it it hit hard I think this summer in powerful ways and I still think it's one of the best pieces of radio that I've heard ever and I'm proud to be a really small part of it was when you know we found out that Chris Webber was going into the Hall of Fame and when Doug and Chris, I, I was in the interview, but I really did my best to sit back and let them talk because you could just hear that they really hadn't talked enough about 2002, about the hurt of that, how great they were, how close they were, and how they didn't get to the goal. And we've analyzed it a million times. We've You and your friends or family members, oh, 2002. They're the ones that lived it, that have the hurt, that have the scars. And you could just hear in Doug's voice and in C-Web's voice how much that still ate at them. And I don't think, you know, they see each other, hug each other, how's family, how's everybody. It was like a topic they didn't talk about. Not together. Not, hey, I might have Webb here at the game for 10 minutes. I'm, I'm not talking about 2002. Well, this was over the air where we were eavesdropping and we were hearing their own therapy. And Doug uses that word a lot, unfinished business, because of what that group didn't get done in their mind. I mean, they were so good, so successful, but we know how it's measured. The ultimate prize is winning the whole thing. And they didn't do it. They were good enough to. Only one team does it. And unfortunately, it was always the Lakers that were stopping them at that time. But you could just hear it. So Doug can't go back and play. See, Webb can't go back and play. They can't change that. But Doug wants to, he feels like he owes it to Sacramento. He doesn't, but he feels that. I can't tell him how to feel. Doug doesn't have to win a championship here. 
to validate the greatness that he had and his teammates. He doesn't, but he wants to for him. But it's also for us, for the city. And they're so far away from that, but that's something I can just share with you that's eating at him. That's what he wants to get to. And he could be the assistant coach. He'd be more than fine with that. He didn't have to be the guy calling the shots. But if he ever is, oh, he'll love that too. He'd love to run a program. He'd love to run this program. But right now, that's not his job. He did it last night. He did a good job of it. And that, again, is why, for me, just knowing how much he thinks about that, how much that eats at him, it was just one night. But it was a good night. It was fun. It was fun to see. Uh, let's get a little more from D.C. here on uh, on the game last night. And uh, starting the three guards. Remember, he went with Davion, De'Aaron, and Tyrese Halliburton. I thought that they were spectacular, man. I thought they played a really good all-around game. I mean, when you look at Ty, he almost had a triple-double, eight rebounds, nine assists, eight points. Davion, in his start uh, defensively, I thought he was a special um, you know, I ask them all the time, like, the court is 94 feet long. The first 40, 47 are yours. You do with him what you want. And after that, when he started picking up, I was like, there you go. Um, and then Fox is just, he's special, man. When he gets downhill, when um, he gets that rhythm, it's uh, it, it turns into something different. And then he, he brought it home. So, you know, you can't, I don't think, necessarily play that way versus every team, like your Torontos and bigger teams. But um, this was a team that we felt like we could play the three guards, and I thought that they did a really good job. And that's where you hope, you know, the mix and match of the styles that this team has the ability to. They haven't mastered one of them, right? The three guards I, I like a lot, but it's not perfect. Doug just said it there, too. There's some bigger lineups that just will crush that. And last night, rebounds, fine, even, 39-39. Um, I didn't feel like they, as I gave you the stat earlier, Washington didn't dominate the paint. Kings, even a closing lineup. We marveled at this at the end of the game. Alex Len was out. Barnes was the five. It was Barnes, Halliburton, Fox, Mitchell, and Buddy. You can't get away with that probably against almost any team. But they were able to do that. That was the closing lineup, and that extended the lead to a 14-point win. I mean, just some inspiring things last night all the way around. And let's get again. We got lots of stuff here from Doug, and I know I know we're showing nothing but love for our guy, but uh, it's awesome. He was asked when did he feel this game kind of changed because as we said, late third, Kings are down by a game high, twelve points. It's sliding, and we've seen this team get down twelve and it ballooned to twenty five quickly. Well, it didn't happen last night. So, Doug, when did this uh, momentum change? Yeah, we we, uh, we called a timeout, and um, we we had made a little bit of a run and. Normally you go to the huddle, but I went and talked to the team and and I looked at them and I asked them, I said, do you realize why we just did what we did? And they kind of looked at me and I said, it's defense. That's why we just made the run that we made. Now, if we want to finish them, we can finish them, but it's not going to be at the other end. The other end will take care of itself. For me, that was the the turning point when we decided to, to get a little more handsy, to pick up a little higher, to fight through the screens, to not lay on them, um, all of a sudden things start happening for us. Yeah. And the other part, too, is, you know, there's another side here trying to beat you. I thought 
they made a, the Wizards. I'm speaking of made a little bit of a strategy mistake. Bradley Beal was a problem, and he's always been a problem. I mean, he's a great player. I thought they sat him a little too long. And the bridge of the late third into the fourth, he was out, and that's when the Kings clearly made their push. And the combo of the fourth quarter, the defense Doug was just referring to how it really excelled, and you hold an opponent to 16, you got a chance to win, but you back it up with a 35-point quarter. You're dominating the quarter, and you flip the game around. Again, they were down 12, got the last couple points of the third, so it was eight, a little bit more of a chance, and then boom, you just go right past them with that huge quarter. And you uh, you get the job done, and it was the balance: nineteen from Barnes, twenty eight from Fox. Mitchell in his first start was really solid. Buddy hitting his shots, and then the unexpected: Tristan Thompson fifteen and Chemezi Metu thirteen. You need it to be done all the way through. I told you earlier about kind of the story of of eavesdropping in on that interview earlier this summer with Chris and um, Doug. And Doug refers to kind of to that here, not that interview, but the theory and the theme behind unfinished business. It uh, it means everything. I think that that's uh, when I say unfinished business, you know, this is a, a proud city, a, a city that deserves um, a high level of basketball when they come out to watch it. And unfortunately for a long time, it hasn't been that way. Um, but it does not have to stay that way and it won't. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it there. It's um, it's step by step, but um, it, it felt good. I mean, also, listen, not for me. Like, move me out of the way. I think it feels good for them. Like, they don't even know what's here. You know what I mean? They they have no idea who those people are and what they bring to the game. So, uh, to hear the building come alive was was really good. You know, I've often thought about that, Chris. I, I think this is a hard one to relate pr- to you or to me, as opposed to someone that's either a new Kings fan or of age now where like they've, they've only known the team like the last, let's say seven, eight years. We have always talked about how great the fan base, great the fan. I mean, at one point the greatest fans in the earth, that's what people say, whether, and a lot of cities say that I get it, but Arco was deafening and so tough to play and legit. I mean, that's now five years removed from being in that building, but the last part, they weren't great. And we all had seen that and heard playoff games. And you know, there's a, generation of people that don't even know what that means and I think that was Doug's point like these players oh yeah it gets loud here they haven't experienced it to uh, what Doug did if you talk to people over 35 36 just around the country that are NBA fans mm-hmm. like the Kings like oh I was in Vegas a few years ago and they're like oh where are you from Sacramento oh, okay um what do you do I work at the sports radio station and stuff like that do you know Doug Christie I'm like hmm. Why is that the first name yeah. that came out? He's like, oh, I just remember those like early 2000 games mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting to get out of a little bit out of the Sacramento bubble, right? And to see how big of a deal those Kings were to like the country, yeah, yeah, to the world. Really, I mean, I mean, it's the world's game, and you get a chance, and you get put on the map. I mean, do people know where Sacramento is? Well, no, I, the Kings, Chris Webber, Doug Christie, Bobby, you know. Vlade, Peja, Mike, you know, all the, all the way down the The crazy line. thing is a lot of people know who the Kings are but think that the capital of California is L.A. Exactly, or San Francisco <laughs> or something. Um, but unfinished business, and he's, he's tracking. The other part that I was thinking about too, Chris, that's so cool about Doug is, and I know people say this a lot, but it, I, it couldn't be more true with him. Like, he is literally the same person. Like when people say, oh, they got this job or this, like they changed like 
Doug could have a 25-year coaching career and be considered the Greg Popovich, like the next, like the just one of the greatest coaches of all time. He'll still be sending us funny texts. He'll still be like the same guy. Talk like, about McGruber. <laughs> right, exactly. Want to be, want to, uh, you know, curse you out. Um, just that's him. That's absolutely him, which is awesome. Uh, all right, more from D.C. from last night's win. Um, a little bit of different rotations, a little bit. I mean, that's the other thing a coach has to play with, right? That's the one thing, and he had a, th- a few guys out, but let's uh, hear D.C. explain the uh, rotations during the game. For me, it was it was just a feel. The coaching staff were fantastic with giving me some ideas, but more than anything, it's just like, what do we need right now? Like when we went to Tristan, like we needed toughness. We we needed somebody to hit somebody. We needed somebody to go in there and rebound the basketball. Um, and he, he brought that. So for, for me, it was just, you know, more of a feel and a vibe. And that's something that from, you know, I've been able to watch and, and learn since I've been here about, you know, kind of how the flow of the game is. But, um, yeah, I've been around it for quite some time. Um, but one thing I know is, is you, <laughs> I don't know anything. You just continue <laughs> to learn, man. You continue to learn. You know, the funny thing about that is I, I think we all have a perception of what a coach does. And and that was the other thing I was thinking of for Doug last night, Chris, was that, I mean, he's obviously played the game forever and has been coached by many different types of people. And now he's been on the coaching staff for a little while. But, like, when you're the head coach, like, if you were asked to be the head coach last night, like, I feel like I would act like, okay, I've seen this coach, like, I've got a hold my arms like like you you just kind of have to be but what is what is your version of standing up sitting down yelling cheering applauding yelling at the ref calling a timeout being cool like you have to go through a whole bunch of different things and it's like i feel like at some point you just get caught up in the game and that you're you're kind of in the emotions but it's like okay wait yeah. sometimes by not saying anything i'm saying something but now I've got, oh, I got to get this player's attention. It's just, it's, there was one, and I meant to, if I get a chance to communicate with him, it was a funny play late where, and I saw it again last night on replay. Kings were up eight or so, and you could see Doug's kind of like, like milk, like spread the floor, and it was a quick inbound, I think, to Fox. He does this quick dribble up, and I think they're like either trying to get him or, or foul him, and he advances it to Chemezi, who aggressively takes it and lays it in. And then Doug looks kind of over at uh, De'Aaron and kind of like, well, it worked, you know, and it's just, ah, that was a pretty funny moment. But just like the, the, the part of being the coach was, was fun to watch him. My head coaching move would be the move where you sit down, legs stretched out, arms crossed, and you're just so disgusted with what you're seeing and you're just shaking your head the entire time. While your team's up 30. Yeah. <laughs> I was half thinking like, oh, how epic would it be if Doug got tossed? Like just lost his mind on a, even just a, a a simple foul, and he just stormed the court, which is unlike him. But his first game, he gets ejected. Then who takes over? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, at that time, probably Longobardi. Then now we get Alvin Gentry on Facetime. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, one more thing, one more comment here from uh, Doug last night on the uh, fact that the Kings in the fourth, in winning time, were able to close out the game. Um, it's it's like uh. My teenage son um, cleaning his room. Once he showed me that he can do it, now I expect you to do it. Um, it's 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 in him. Uh, you know what? 
playing defense and playing at a really high and, and hard level, it hurts. It's not – it doesn't feel good. It, it, I mean, you have to stop on a dime. You have to fight through screens. You have to do things that you don't like to do. And tonight they were willing to, to do it and accomplish it. Um, they just have to be more willing to do it on a consistent basis to reach the levels that you've seen tonight. And I know and uh, the fans, I think, know and want to see that they can do. Yeah, you know, Doug said that on this show before, on this air, where it's like, hey, look, def- playing great defense, it takes something out of you. And to the point where Doug's also said before, like, this team doesn't know how to win or what it takes. That's a little uh, slice of what he means. Like, it, okay, are you more sore today? Did it hurt you? Were you more tired? Do you want to win? I mean, it's not a foolproof. That's the every game is going to go this way if you play better defense all the time. You have a better chance. Yeah. You have a better chance. Offense is easier when you're playing really good defense. Yes. Yes. And then, look, you're the team that creates the turnovers. Maybe you get some runouts. And maybe, you know, it, it just it, – it's got to be able and, – and Doug's and Alvin Gentry and whoever else gets an opportunity at some point to coach this team, finding the consistency. And I think, really, that's the separation. When we continue to talk about the standings and you look at Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah, to me, who I've been saying are the three best teams, you know, and they are record-wise, but certainly in the West – but just three of the best teams in the league. What is different? Consistently, they're good. I mean, they're, right now, you you pretty much have a good idea that they have a chance to win. The Kings have played all of those teams so far. Very competitive with the Warriors. They beat the Suns on a buzzer beater and, and lost to them in the other time. And then the games with the Jazz, two of the three were very competitive. Those teams are better than the Kings. That's not any earth-shattering statement. We all know that. But... The Kings have shown they can compete with them. So then what separates the rest? We just talked about Memphis earlier was kind of hurting when they lost John Morant. They have figured out a way to win without him amazingly, and now they're thriving consistently. Consistency is what gets it done. Now, you can have an outlier bad game. I'm sure the Warriors, Suns, Jazz have had that. But is it one instead of, oh, the Kings had a bad trip? Or, oh, they're in a bad stretch. This has been a bad two weeks. Have your bad game, off game, whatever it is, regroup. And this team hasn't done that, and that's a large part why they've been below 500 for for years. And to the point that we mentioned earlier, the West is so down this year. And in the current climate, where we're talking more and more about COVID and health and safety protocols, the Kings, too, finding out that they're going to be without De'Aaron Fox here for the short term as he entered health and safety protocols. It is going to be an issue around the league. And if you can avoid that or stay clear of it or be in that time less while other teams try to figure it out, maybe that's another avenue that you can start to move up the standings. But strong play, consistent play needs to continue. Their next opportunity, at least we think, will be tomorrow when the Kings will take on the Memphis Grizzlies. All right, Capital Casino is back with indoor gaming and dining located inside at 411 North 16th Street in downtown Sacramento. All right, break time for us. When we come back, we got to jump into the NFL as well as uh, there's lots of concerns with COVID in the NFL, including the Raiders and the Browns. We'll discuss that when we come back here on Sports 1140 KHDK. And I'm out and I hear a sneeze. I freak out and run back home. 
Someone get me Dr. Fauci on the phone because What is this? It's uh, Chromio. Uh, Roni's got me stressed out. Okay. Hey, it's time to get a new mattress. Shop local at Sleep First. Well, this is fitting because we talked a lot about the Kings and their health and safety protocols with the Aaron Fox entering that group. Uh, how about this coming in from Adam Schefter just a minute ago? Nine, nine more Rams. They had already been hit, but nine more go on the COVID list for the Rams, including Von Miller in that group. We know that Odell Beckham Jr. had been placed on there, but the nine total players have been added to the COVID list today for the Rams. So they're not the only team. Certainly the Browns have been crushed by this. We mentioned that in First Things First, where head coach Kevin Stefanski has been placed on there, Baker Mayfield, and then the Browns are likely down to Nick Mullins to play quarterback on Saturday against the Raiders, and by all accounts, the game is on. Uh, let's hear from some of those parties involved. First, uh, from Kevin Stefanski uh, being asked about this whole situation. Would you like to see this game postponed? I'd like to see uh, the Browns play well versus the Raiders. <laughs> okay. Talk about evading a question. Here's more from Stefanski. It's not ideal, obviously, but the hope is to get a full-speed practice in tomorrow if we can. And, and we'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. But uh, I think the guys uh, understand what needs to get done today, and that's really what's most important. Okay. Well, again, they're going to be next man up. We got to go. Show goes on, all those kind of things. But Stefanski is just looking to uh, follow the right procedures just to be able to get practices going and, and follow the guidelines. Being in the community and giving back to the community is a very, very big deal to us. Uh, now, we want to do that responsibly. And we always follow CDC guidelines, the league's protocols, uh, and, and that's what our team will continue to do. All right, more from the Browns head coach again. This is Kevin Stefanski, who is scheduled to be out and uh, doesn't want these to – he's not calling these distractions at all. We have to focus on our job, and then we have to do our job. Uh, I understand that there's distractions. I understand that there's a lot going on, but I, I really don't care. I think what I care about is making sure that we have our best week of preparation. All right, sounds like coach speak a lot, but that's, you know, what else are you going to do here in the position of leadership as far as when the games are scheduled to still go? It's a disadvantage for you, but you got to go as long as the games are being played. Here's Stefanski being asked if uh, there could even be a potential forfeit. Do you know anything about if you had to forfeit, would the league do that? Is I mean, people are asking that question, just, you know, how does that work? Do you have any idea? I, I really don't, but uh, as you can imagine, our focus is on on preparing and getting ready to to play a big game. Yeah, so it's uh, that game is Saturday. So what does the league do? What does the NFL do? There's talk today where they're trying to and have already implemented some changes to the protocols, and you know you have to take this seriously. But there is a there's a portion of this where either the leagues, and I say NFL and NBA, whatever, the active leagues right now, have to change their protocols to keep these games going or do some sort of all-in and shut down. I, I just don't know any other 
way to do it. And where the trick becomes to me for the leagues is with the players that are testing positive that are asymptomatic. Now, logically, it's like, oh, you can't keep them playing because they could pass it on to others. Fact, they can. Um, but if they're asymptomatic, you're keeping them out. Can can they play? Is someone more medically backed in this would say, what would they say? What is what is the process here? What is the best practice for this? Um, amidst a rash of positive tests, the lockdown is back in the NFL through Monday at least for players, staff, regardless of vaccination status, no visitors or dining out on the road, no gathering in groups of four plus, no public appearances, no big clubs, bars, parties, and so on and so forth. Um, there's also some talk about, like I said, changing and speeding up, let's say, the people that have maybe tested positive that are asymptomatic, maybe rapidly instead of 48 hours with a couple of negatives, maybe it's less time. I don't know if that's the right practice. Uh, let's hear Roger Goodell asked about the uh, situation that the league is in right now. It's clear even in the last couple of weeks that the changes are pretty significant and different than they were before. And I think it calls for modifications to our protocols in general. And we're working with the Players Association on that. All right. And then one more question and answer from Raj. In light of the competitive implications with the COVID outbreaks, and particularly among vaccinated players, what would be the threshold for postponing a game, and will that change come playoffs? I don't think we have something that we've set as a specific. You know, one of the things we've really worked on is trying to give clubs flexibility. With respect to this, we have larger rosters. We have 16 practice squad players now. We've given our clubs a lot more flexibility with respect to being able to move uh, players off of that practice squad, but also off of injured reserve. And I think those things have allowed clubs to be able to make sure they're maintaining the best competitive product out there. One of the things that amazes me about the season is how competitive the game is, how extraordinary they're playing both as individuals and as teams. And I think that's a lot because of the flexibility and the ability for us to be able to manage through pandemics that we've been doing the last two seasons and doing it at an incredibly high level as far as competitive. Oh, we'll just add more players. They don't care about competitiveness. And the irony of all that, Chris, is right now the league, the NFL, has not one team that has clinched the playoffs. There's four weeks to go. There's only like four that are eliminated. This should be one of the best finishes we could possibly have. But here's the argument. That's just sports. Like, really? Like, what does it matter? Well, it matters to a lot of people. This is a huge business. You know they want to play. You know they want their money. And I get that. That's an operation. But are, okay, are we all in on just money making? Or are we, yes. oh, no, it's health and safety. Why, why do we even have the protocols? It's just... What is the right answer? I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, I don't think there's a clear-cut thing. Because some people will say, oh, just shut it down right now. Well, is that the right thing? Maybe some teams aren't impacted. Though right now, it sure looks like just about the whole league is. They don't care about the competitiveness of the league because last year they let a team with no quarterbacks play. Yes, which I remember that so well with Denver. I'm like, oh, the quarterback room is infected. They're out. This game's going to be fun. And I watched like, the first three snaps. I go, okay, no, it's terrible. Yeah, this is awful. It was bad. I was just like, oh, it's gimmick. It's different. I want to see this. Nope, can't work. They can't function. This is awful. Denver has no chance to win. Like, it would have been better if they just forfeited the game. Yeah. I mean, I was excited to see it. But like I said, not for four quarters. I was like, nope. Four plays, maybe. That was it. I think that's all they allowed on uh, the red zone. <laughs> yes. They went away from that game quickly. So, you know, we, we, we can all be, and I am, being an armchair quarterback or trying to make a decision, an opinion. I don't know. You run the league. What would you do? What's the right answer? And 
that, <laughs> just go to social media. Just post anything on COVID. See what kind of reaction you get. You know people think differently on a wide range. So now it's a business. You're trying to make money, trying to entertain, trying to take people away from shutdowns and the things that our world have been in. But is that the best idea? Do you now give more people COVID? Do those send more people to the hospital? I mean, this man, it's just a cycle that I really thought we would by now be out of. We're not. And lots of people have the shot. Not everybody. Not everybody's boosted. Um, and the Players Association, when as long as they can protect each other, players uh, don't all have to do it. COVID on a whole, it's we've gotten like a glimpse of what it's going to be like here from what's happening in Europe. And we kind of see like, oh, it's getting kind of bad there and that. In the English Premier League, there's supposed to be 10 games happening this weekend. Only five are happening. Five of them have been postponed because of players with COVID. And like when you're talking about a team with COVID, like are we half the team? And I mean, obviously enough to cancel a game. Uh, like player, like some teams, like eight, nine yeah. players. Which their roster's what? 23. About, yeah, 20, okay. Enough. I mean, that's too much of an impact. So, <laughs> I, I honestly, I mean, I... It's not even frustration. I, I, Like I said, I always like to see, oh, here's the answer. Here's what I would do. I don't know. Like if it's ultimately, you're, you're, you're in charge of the NFL. What would you do? <laughs> I don't know. The only way it would work is like if you could isolate every single player away from everybody else and have them have no contact with anybody that is literally the only one that you can prevent COVID from entering because yeah. we saw that in the bubble right but that is not going to happen the bubble was amazingly successful amazingly um but was it the best for basketball was it the best for i mean no fans till the very end um we <laughs> everyone get to in watch. hotel yeah i mean i didn't live it i didn't go that i, I mean i've heard you know mix and match it was like oh, i was different it was a little bit lonely i saw, how about the people that had to go there and wait, didn't they have to wait 14 days before they could even or seven before they could even leave their room yeah man like they were getting food delivered at their door i mean it feels like we're farther along than that now i mean people are still being hopefully cautious and safe and masks and all that but oh i'm gonna go outside and i'm gonna go here i feel okay here outside and that kind of thing but my goodness um we'll see we'll see where the nfl will go and like if, if we're on tomorrow, it's like, oh, the games this weekend are canceled. I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, Wojnarowski. Yeah. Sacramento King Center. Alex Lynn has entered COVID protocols. Okay. So there's another player for the Kings. And both Alex Lynn, for, again, for what it's worth, Alex Lynn, I think, and De'Aaron. I know De'Aaron had it last year. Yes. I think Alex Lynn did too, I think. I'm not certain. So Alex Lynn has entered COVID protocols, at, according to a Woj, about two minutes ago. So on the official list that we can say, Fox, Lynn, Bagley, Coach Gentry. We think Terrence Davis. Can't 100% confirm, but we think. Man, it gets worse and worse. Kingsford Lewis King, who has been with the franchise G League, is also entering COVID protocols. That's this is the outbreak they're talking about. Yeah. So he was being brought in because possibly because of that. And so now, now you go, okay, Stockton Kings. Right? I mean, that's the people he's been around. 
Oh, boy. So, as of now, (laughs) the Kings are scheduled to play tomorrow night. Some version of the Sacramento Kings. We'll see. We'll see what has to... Just on these numbers, they still have enough to play. Okay. What what does the league want to do? No Len, no Bagley, no Holmes. Holmes could be. I mean, that's an injury thing. We don't know. I have a feeling not. Okay. Not that means. What? I think it's Kata time. Ooh. And no Fox. Um, and potentially no Terrence Davis. So this is why it's fluid. Like we, I told you, I checked in with a source. Like the, the testing was coming and results were coming every half hour to hour. And here we go. We're finding out a little bit more and more. And you go across the league. Dwayne Casey is missing tonight's game. Not COVID. There's personnel reasons there. Uh, you've got Jabari Parker going into health and safety protocols. We mentioned Avery Bradley, Russell Westbrook. Uh, it's an issue. And uh, to the fact that I think Woj tweeted this. Or I found that number. Here it is. Um, on the Lakers, by the way, not only Westbrook and Bradley, Malik Monk, Dwight Howard, and Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, so they've got five. So far, 63 NBA players have entered into COVID protocols this season, including 47 in December. That's before all these recent ones. Though, that was too. two hours ago. Yeah. I'm sure that number's north of 50-something. So you know the league offices are discussing best plan of action, best course. We'll fill you in when we know more, and I hope not. But uh, here we go. Woj just tweeted again. Okay, as the Kings prepare to play Washington, oh, he says Washington, but Memphis on Friday, they'll be without Len, King, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley Jr., and interim coach Alvin Gentry all in protocols. Now, again, I don't want to say if that's just the list because that's enough, they would play, in my opinion. They would play. All right, break time for us. Final segment to get to, more from the NFL, more on any breaking news regarding any COVID concerns with the Kings and the rest of the uh, sports world. And we have the uh, crossover. All that coming up here on KHDK. And a couple of minutes before we get to the Thursday night football, Chiefs and Chargers. Uh, as we update you on a few more things, some interesting numbers out there, including uh, a couple of things from the NFL. The Rams now have 25 players that are in health and safety protocols. The Browns and Washington football team have 21 each. And the Browns, who have 21, play the Raiders, Chris. Raiders have zero. 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 So it's a weird – and it's not – I don't think it's a thing where the Raiders go, look, we're doing – no, don't do that. Because it, that can change fast. But, what again, what do you do? What's the right thing? We had a texture to say, let them play if they're vaccinated. Okay. Sure. If, you're, if you have enough players and you're healthy and you can play, I guess. But we're getting really thin on a lot of these situations. 25 players out. Of a 53-man roster generally. And they and said they've added 22 a starters. Yes. Man. Man, oh, man. And then we'll complain on Monday. Boy, that game wasn't very good. Well, yeah, wonder why. And for the Kings news, they prepare to play the Grizzlies on Friday without Alex Len, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, interim coach Alvin Gentry, all in protocols. Terrence Davis, again, we still don't totally understand there. They could be without um, a situation with uh, also Lewis King, we should mention. 
They could be without Rashawn Holmes on uh, injury situation. So, man. Man, oh, man. Um, a couple other things I want to get to to close out uh, some football conversation. Uh, just the ever-charming Urban Meyer. He's out. He's out in Jacksonville. You heard the story about his former kicker, Josh Lambeau, about how he kicked him, and uh, he has not uh, glowing things to say about his former coach. I see Urban come up to me out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> he comes up to me, and he says, Hey, dip, another word, uh, make your effing kicks, and then proceeds to kick me right in the leg, right in the hamstring. Um, also, on the, on the leg, on the hip, that – kept me out for 12 games last year. And I couldn't believe it happened. I looked up at him. I said, don't you ever kick me again. Hmm. Uh, one more comment from Josh Lambeau on uh, what Meyer would try to do with his intimidation. He said, if there is a source, that person's out of a job. Essentially, I don't remember the exact quote, but that was, in essence, what he said. And he can't, I don't think he can deny that. And that's what he did to me uh, in, in August. And it's just unacceptable to intimidate people into your narrative. And now the reason for speaking up about it is because he's trying to shut everybody else up. And he tried to shut me up once. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Just we're in a better place without urban Meyer in the NFL. <laughs> just that goes without saying. All right. Final couple of moments here. Let's get the crossover from the morning show. What's happening on the Carmichael Dave show. Let's find out right now with the crossover. Here's today's crossover. Crossover time. Jason Ross. Hi. Harrison Barnes asked last night, should DeMarcus Cousins' number be retired? Statistically speaking, Jay and I agree. I disagree with the retiring part, though. Would you be okay with the Kings having some sort of ring of honor for players like DeMarcus who might be right in the middle? Yes, 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 yes. 100%. I love that. I love... Because there are there are people that are help tell the story of the Sacramento Kings that, you know, I, I think there needs to be it's almost like a Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, Hall of Fame you're in, that's that's legendary, maybe once in a generation or you some other organizations get more uh get on the better luck side of that, that, you know, transform a team, you gotta get that player's number retired. But not everybody's number needs to be retired. I think a lot of the group from two thousand two, that realm, like Doug, like Bobby, Bibby. I would love to see them acknowledged in a ring of honor. DeMarcus, sure. Like, I just think that makes a lot more sense on the impact and the the production that they had in this community where maybe it's not the full retirement of a jersey. So I would be for that. I know that that kind of resurfaced again because, yeah, you're right. Harrison Barnes brought that up. And DeMarcus, I mean, statistically, yeah, he put up monster numbers, but it's one of those things where um, they were empty, a little bit like, to some extent, Mitch Richmond. But Mitch did it longer, more effectively, more all-star appearances. And, you know, at the time, a lot of people considered Mitch the second-best two-guard in the league. So I think I think he is more of deserving and is a Hall of Famer, too. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely cool. So um, we'll see where it goes for um, DeMarcus on that. But I like that. I like that Ring of Honor thought. Do you, Chris? Um, or some yeah. sort of, I don't know if that the ring of honor, maybe there's another sort of acknowledgement or historical. Can I say something? Sure. I don't like retiring numbers. Because? Because it's, I mean, look at the Yankees. You can't have a one through 10. Right. Which is like, and then there are other teams like, what does it mean for you to get your retirement? It means different things to different people. Like I would like to see every single player that played in the O two finals to right. have their 
like Doug doesn't have his jersey retired. Right. So. Well, and the other part, and I've, I've said this before, the part about the Yankees, though, one through ten, uh, when my cousin Greg Nettles played after Roger Maris, Maris numbers wasn't, I mean, he had nine. He had actually, I know I can hear it, Roger Maris had the greatest, one of the greatest years ever. Nettles had more stats as a Yankee than Roger Maris. But oh, he had 61 home runs in a season? Not in one season, but he led the league in home runs one year. Huh. Yeah, that has more home runs as a Yankee than Maris does. Huh. You buy it? So he's better than Maris. You said it. I didn't say it. Yeah, you did. I insinuated it. No, you said it. There wasn't even a question. You said, so he's better than Maris. And I agree. We agree on one thing. He's better than Maris. All right, that's it for us today. Thursday Night Football is coming your way next. We're back tomorrow here on Sports 1140 KHK. See